Oh, we are live. <laughs> What's up, everybody? <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff After Hours. My name is Mark DeMeo. I'm your host. I'm here with my partner, uh, my co-host in all things law enforcement, the very handsome Bill Cannon. What's up, Bill? Oh my God! Almost a disaster. That's what's happening. But I don't. I won't go into it because it's boring. But my mic and my audio wasn't working up until uh, like ten seconds ago. So I'm not going to touch anything. I'm just going to go through the show like it is. Yeah. Well, we got you. We got you. And we have a return customer. This guy dares to step back into the lines then again. But he's uh-huh. here for a special reason. Our guest tonight, you may remember him, is a retired NYPD inspector. Um, he's an, also an author. He has a book called 911, uh, 9-11 Remembered 20 Years Later. Um, welcome back, Bob Martin. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me back. And thank you for having me on the first time. I'm, I'm very happy to be here two days before the 20th anniversary. And also, I have to thank you both that when I did the show a week or so ago, it was, as I explained to Bill, my first podcast, and you were both very gentle with me. I thought that was... <laughs> And Mark, the uh, dozen roses you sent the next day. Yeah, uh, you're right. <laughs> Bill, though, you know when, when you're supposed to send chocolates? It's not like a Hershey bar with a bite taken out of it. But you guys are great. And, and uh, I'm happy to be back. And I'm happy to uh, be able to talk about the book and bring up some of the heroes that we uh, may, may not have covered on the first go-around. Well, we're happy to have you back. And, um, you know, Saturday... Is the 20th anniversary of the bombing of the World Trade Center, and uh, when you were on the first time, we went through, we covered, we saw some remarkable footage. Um, Bill brought up, and then uh, you told some amazing stories. And like you said, you didn't have a chance to finish, so you know, um, you're, you're back here again. I think we should, uh, we owe it to all, everybody that we that you went through, that you documented, all their family to tell their story. So we never forget. Well, that that was the whole purpose of the bookmark that I had the feeling that people are starting to forget. And there's a you know a whole generation coming up now that really doesn't remember it. They might have been babies, might have been born after it, uh, and they should know. They should know these stories because I said you hear these stories, I get goosebumps when I you know hear about Terry Tobin, uh, hear about Mike Curtin the people we talked about. So I thought maybe we can go through Bill, if it's all right with you, you know, go through some of the, some of the people, you know, some of the uh, people we covered pretty extensively uh, and we can kind of breeze by them, but you guys are in the driver's seat. Uh, but I'm, I'm not assuming that everybody who is tuning in today uh, tuned in a week ago, so we can kind of wing it, I guess. Well, on the screen, uh, Bob, you have, of course, um, Sergeant Mike Curtin, with whom the proceeds of this book is uh, dedicated to his, uh, his memory. And he was uh, not only a hero on 9-11, but uh, a U.S. Marine also. That's correct. Fort in Desert Storm. Uh, real quick, because we did tell this on the last time, he's called to Oklahoma City after the bombing there. Uh, he's digging through the rubble. He sees the blue pants with the red stripe he knows there's a marine buried in the rubble he gets some other rescuers they dig for five hours with the building still falling down around them and uh eventually get out the body of randy guzman a captain in the marine corps who was in the recruiting office there and they cover it with the flag and mike gets five other ex-marines and they march out of the collapsing building singing the marine corps hymn uh, and they have a room in the Oklahoma City uh, Memorial 
dedicated to the uh, police, fire, EMS from New York who had gone there with the FEMA team, I guess. And uh, they honored them. And these guys who were at um, the bombing in 95 in Oklahoma City came back to New York and then died on 9-11. So very moving. And yes, everything goes. I got a poster behind me here. Uh, matter of fact, Joe Larkin, my old football coach, said, you know, you're supposed to be behind you, but your big fat head blocked it. We couldn't see it. But uh, that was at the golf outing that all the proceeds are going to the uh, 3256. There we go, the 3256 Foundation. Man, and that was uh, some so timing. I didn't know if I would get to that thing on time. And I just. <laughs> perfect. 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 <laughs> what a, what, what a producer. <laughs> there's the uh, information. And if you uh, are feeling generous on Saturday and you want to write a check, it would go to a very good cause. You know, Bob, uh, a friend of ours, uh, first grade detective, Michael O'Keefe, retired. He wrote a, a World Trade Center poem, and I told him I would read it tonight. It's a bit of an angry poem, but I said I would read it. So I, I'm going to just read it right now, if you guys don't mind. No, another San Francis prep man. I have to let you do that. That's mm -hmm. right. The antiseptic aroma of the waiting room battles the underlying smell of dread. Despair is winning each year by a wider margin. The sense of inevitability looms. If it is not yet your time, there's no escaping the fact that it's coming. Remembering the toxic air sifting for friends in its contaminated ruins, realizing they were there in every handful, pulverized and moldering within it, the city called it a rescue. But the only thing escaping that hell was a broken nation's sense of itself. Recalling the adulation misplaced, the shame burning within, you thought your sacrifice pale, when, you, when laying next to that of your fallen comrades, you couldn't realize then it was the same, only held in abeyance, who imagined cancer could have so many names. Zadroga, Waterman, Panzarella, Roman, Alvarez, Ed, and Finitum. We are going now, murdered in fact, soon we will be none. Never forget a once grateful nation promise, now unabashedly replaced with some people did something, as if that told the story. The one no one wanted to hear anymore. And yet they repeat the tired refrain muted to the point of a dying echo, worse than an afterthought, we're now reviled. The new repository of society's misdirected shame and guilt for sins we didn't commit. Was it racism that motivated so many of us to dig for our fellow citizens in the toxic waste piles? Knowing we were poisoning ourselves, is it white privilege that kills us, even though the cancer chooses us without regard to our race? All cops are bastards in their mindless response. Meanwhile, back at Stony Brook Medical Center, the nurse calls your name when the foul diagnosis comes. You know it will be without emotion. The doctor can't hide his ambivalence. The deliverer of calamity, it's just his job. It is the sound of dismissal, of being forsaken on the short path to being forgotten. Wow. Michael O'Keefe, retired first grade detective. Yeah. That was great, Michael. That was, Michael, can uh, Michael can write. There's no doubt about that. That was beautiful. That was, That's and it, it told a, it told a, a few stories in that one yeah. poem. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the whole the whole um, point of this whole show is that not to ever forget. And mm. I think he said it better in you know all of those words. And I could say it, or we can just say in a sentence of never forget because uh, there seems this to is, be um, there seems to be. A thought that, uh, and it seems annually that we're trying to do things to make people forget. Not we, but just, uh, I don't know what to say, the government or the media or somebody is, you know, like, for example, we brought it up earlier that um, 
people that uh, that responded are not allowed to go to the uh, the memorial, only the family members. So, uh, and the year before that, they didn't even want to put the light the the lights up. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's, uh... it's it's convenient that we have uh, the COVID right now, but it just seems like that's what's uh, every year. It's something. Every year we we're trying to forget instead of always remembering. I think it was last year too. They didn't want the names to be uh, read anymore. Yeah, right. Uh, so, I, I it takes too long. That's what the is that the only the, is that their excuse? I don't understand. Yeah, you know, on on the screen right now is a is a extremely iconic photo of um, uh, Father Michael Judge, who I believe was killed at the World Trade Center. I, and I I don't know if I'm totally correct, but by a fallen body that had jumped out. Uh, the windows. I, I I could be I could be incorrect. And this photo here, if that doesn't break your heart, and you know want to get the people that did this, is people choosing between burning to death or jumping out off uh, mm-hmm. off the building. You know, and just just in, incredible. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Father Michael Judge, as, as I mentioned last time, Bill uh, was actually. A St. Francis alumni. He's an honorary alumni. He went to St. Francis Prep in Brooklyn, where I went um, his freshman year before he uh, went into the seminary. But they actually took his body, and I don't think it was a jumper because I think if he got hit by a jumper, he would not look like he did. I think. He yeah, was I guess you're right. Yeah. I think he was in the North Tower when the South Tower collapsed, and and debris shot into the North Tower. But they actually carried him around the corner to St. Peter's Church. And they laid his body out on the altar. So, you know, heart, heartbreaking. And th- there are a lot of people. I mean, the firemen absolutely loved him. And uh, there are people who think that he should be made a saint. So I, I would not fight it. Wow. You know, you had, you had wanted to mention um, uh, John O'Neill. I don't think we got to it the last time. I know uh, it's in your covered, list. We covered him pretty good, I thought. Okay. Uh, it's just, there's so many... When you speak to the people who were there, you know, who lived, obviously you can't speak to the people who died. But, you know, like Terry Tobin said, I don't know why I made a left and lived and other people made a right and died. But the ironic thing with John is he's fighting. He's looking. I meet him in 1996 at a uh, International Association Chiefs of Police. We were both on the uh, Committee on Terrorism. And it was my first meeting, and John and I were giving a presentation. He was working in Washington, D.C. at the time. And in his presentation, he's talking about Osama bin Laden. I hadn't heard of him. He didn't really get on people's radar until 98, when you had the bombings of the African embassies, and he came out with a fatwa, basically saying that any American is fair game to kill. And John just kept beating this drum about Osama bin Laden, Osama bin Laden. He came to New York in 97. Uh, became the ASAP, the basically second in command of the New York office, and uh, continued talking about it. And then I saw him in Alexandria, Virginia, in August of 2001. And um, he tells me, I'm pulling the pin. Now, John had some problems. He had a, a very active social life, I'll put it that way. <laughs> not let that out of the bag, because as I mentioned, and, and Mark had asked me about it, the, uh, the Hulu presentation the series called uh, the looming towers they go into it quite extensively but he was basically told you know it's time to retire and when i see him in alexandria in august of 2001 he tells me hey bobby boy 
I got a new job and he gives me the little neck rub. I'm, you know, coming back to New York. And I said, what is it? And he said, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. It's not a done deal yet. But when I come up, I'll be giving you a call. And then on the day, uh, September 10th, I get a call from another FBI friend of mine. And he says, hey, your buddy O'Neill's got a new job. And I said, what, what is it? And I said, I saw him last month. He told me he was coming to New York. He says, he's the, the new director of the World Trade Center, wow. head of security. And I think it was like his third or fourth day in the position. And he's killed. You know, so one of the guys wow. in the terrorist test was said, John hunted Osama bin Laden for six years. And then Osama bin Laden caught him. John was also, they go into it in the, uh, the, the, the documentary or the, or the series. Um, he went to Yemen on the USS Cole bombing and he uh, had trouble, had some troubles with the ambassador there. And he was called back to Washington, D.C. And uh, then he said, all right, you know, I have to go back to Yemen. And they said, you can't go back. You can't get a visa to go anymore. So uh, quite a quite a, quite a a guy, quite a career. And I just saw, uh, I'm going to be on the radio show tomorrow with Bernie and Sid, the uh, uh, sport, you know, they do sports talk, but yeah. this week they're doing 9-11. And uh, they were talking about him. And, and Bernie was on with uh, ex-Congressman Peter King. And Peter King was saying, you know, this guy, matter of fact, Peter King said, they should make a movie about him. And I, I felt like calling up and saying, they did. you got to see this thing. But, <laughs> you know, a, a, a very, just just ironic that he's looking for this guy. And then he, he leaves his law enforcement job, goes into the private sector and gets killed three or four days later. Wow. You know, in the chat, I'm going to pull this up. Michael Abbott, uh, I was on active duty military leave from the NYPD on 9-11, serving with a rapid deployment U.S. Army Infantry Unit out of Fort Benning, Georgia. And I can say unequivocally that this country has still not learned the lessons of 9-11. Yet, and sadly, we are wide open to even more terrorist attacks. Sad, well, you're right. I would agree with him, uh, with everything that's going on in Afghanistan. And I don't claim to be a terrorism expert, but... You had 5,000 Al-Qaeda fighters released from prisons there. You have a non-existent southern border. And let me give you this quick story. 20 years ago, well, 19 years ago, right after 9-11, I got a call from an FBI who was a higher up. And he retired and was in the private sector. And he says, Bob, would you want to get a job doing uh, training for people? Because when I retired, I think there was 10 terrorist task forces around the country. So now after 9-11, they wanted to start up like 50 new ones. Every major city probably now has a, a terrorist task force. Right. But they didn't have anybody to train them. So he said to me, you know, you want to do it? And I said, you know, I was in the private sector. And I said, I have a full-time job. He said, well, you know, we'll, we'll pay pretty good. So we would go out. They put teams together. And we would go wherever they were starting up a new task force, uh, Kansas City, St. Louis, Atlanta. And I met an FBI guy who was still active. And, you know, having a beer one night, and I said to him, so where do you work? And he goes, uh, I'm the RA in McAllen, Texas. Now, the RA, uh, FBI speak, is resident agent, and it basically means it's a one-man shop. They don't have an office with, you know, staff and everything. So I said, McAllen, Texas, uh, I'm not familiar. Where is it? He goes, it's right on the border. And I said, so what do you work? Like the Mexican immigrants, you know, illegal aliens? And he goes, Bob, we don't, we could care less about the Mexican illegal immigrants. I said, so what do you work on? He goes, we work on FOPs. 
Now, the FBI loves acronyms, you know? So I go, FOPs, I thought it was Fraternal Order of Police. What, are you, what, is, what does it mean to you? And he says, from other places. So very naively, I said, but where would someone cross the border from Mexico? You know, what are the countries but Mexico? He said, Syria, Egypt, Lebanon. And I'm going, I, I never knew that. I said, do you get many? And he said, and this again, this is maybe 2002, maybe 2003. He says, we caught 40 last month. And uh -huh. I go, oh, what, uh -huh. what do you think your catch rate is? He says, if we're lucky, maybe one out of 10. So I said, so you're telling me that 400 people from the Middle East, from countries that sponsor terrorism, came across the border and we caught 40 of them, so 360? He said, ballpark figure, but that's that's true. And now, I mean, the border was semi-secure back then. Now, uh, I, I'm very worried that we could get. No, hit they they don't they don't take this seriously. They really no. don't. They just <laughs> think this is all a joke and just let everyone and let's hold hands and sing come by. But it's it's just it's really ridiculous that you no. just it's a porous border and it's it's just an out and out joke what they're no, doing. The, you know those poor. Uh, Border control guys down there, the, the, the uh, you know, the uh, what do they call them? Uh, Border patrol. Border patrol. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're working 18 hour tours. They're, you know, trying to stop people. But, you know, when you announce that basically we're going to let you in and then we'll decide whether you're going to get the uh, amnesty or not, it, it was not a good decision. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I hate to be a pessimist, but I'm worried. Yeah, I am too. You know, Bob, you would ask me. To pull up the uh, uh, the miracle on the Hudson flight, which incidentally I responded to. Uh, actually, um, you know, it was, it was an amazing thing to respond to because when we went there, we were told that there was going to be a lot of dead people. And mm -hmm. then as, as the investigation uh, went on, not a single person died. And it was just just an incredible thing. And part B of this, I think you told me that this, yep. this ship – well, this boat that was um, named Moira Smith was involved in the rescue. Yeah, that was that was something I found when I started to do the research for the book. Um, you know, we went into Moira and and the, you know her bravery and and do you have that picture of her shield that they use, Bill? Um, I do somewhere. Let me see. I, I here we go. Uh, uh, yeah, that's. Moira's shield, which is now on display at the 9-11 Museum. And as you can see, it's beat up. You know, it looks burnt. Uh, her shield and her 13th Precinct Calabras are on display there. So, I mean, I knew I had a great story to, to write about. Um, but then I found out that they had named this boat, the New York Waterways, which runs back and forth from Jersey to um and there's, you know, that's funny. I, that one I didn't even know. The Fred Marone. That's the other guy who I hope we can get his picture later. There's Fred. Yeah. Fred, a port authority. He was the director of public safety. And he was, you know, you talk about ironic. He joined that um, Committee on Terrorism, International Cho uh, Association Chiefs of Police, the same year I did, 96. So we had three meetings a year in all over the country and sometimes out of the country because it was international. So you get to know these people, and it's kind of like a club, and you're all kind of fighting, you know, terrorism. And on 9-11, Fred gets killed. John O'Neill gets killed, who was also a member of the IACP Terrorism Committee. 
So we had our meeting uh, October of 2001 in Toronto, and it was the, the big uh, IACP conference, and we had our terrorism meeting. And it was strange because it's 30 people from around the world, mo mostly U.S., but I'd say 10 from other countries. And now two of them were killed on the same day, probably within 100 yards of each other. So very ironic. But Fred, Fred was a great guy. And I didn't know they had named the boat after him, too. Uh, but the other one was Demoira Smith. And it's it's funny. I'm, I'm working on a story I did about a guy from St. Francis Prep who got killed in Vietnam. And, and my buddy, John Higgins, who was also a Vietnam vet, who, who had uh, graduated two years in front of me, um, calls me up one day and says, do you remember a guy named Ken Cummings? And I said, I kind of remember the name. He goes, yeah, well, he was a senior when you were a freshman. He was the captain of the swim team, and John swam. And uh, he went on to West Point, Ken, and graduated in 68, went out to, to uh, Colorado for ranger training, uh, met a girl, married her, left for Vietnam. He was there for about three weeks, and he does like a forest gump, carrying people across fields with machine gun fire coming at him, gets the Silver Star, and then routine mission, helicopter goes down and he's killed. So John was honoring him at the prep. And I'm actually writing the story, and I'm sitting at my table looking out the window, and it's a snowy, cold day. And John calls me and says, Diane was just in a plane crash, his wife, Diane Higgins. And I go, oh, my God. And he goes, no, she's okay. Put on the news. And I put on the news, and I see this. And Diane was actually portrayed in the uh, movie Sully. She was on the plane with her 85-year-old mother, who was the oldest passenger on board. And it was amazing that they got out. But they actually went to the front of the plane. Diane believes in angels. And she said the angel told her, don't go out on the wing. Go to the front. And she slid down into the raft. But one of the first ships on the scene was the New York Waterways, Moira Smith. And that's, that's uh, Jim Smith, who you, who you know, and yeah. Patricia Smith, the two-year-old girl, and they're christening it in February. So in the book, I said her legacy of life-saving did not end on 9-11, that seven years later, the Moira Smith saved 14 people from the port wing of uh, Flight 1549. So I know there were no strange things, but I'm glad you showed me the Fred Marone boat. I did I did not know that that yeah, was. Yeah, I mean, in my searching for pictures, I discovered that. I didn't know about it either. And yeah. uh, it's great, a great, great, great honor. Right? And, and we'll go into, I hope, Bill, a little bit more about the Port Authority because. Yeah, in fact, do it, do it now with the photo up because they frequently get forgotten. I, that's because... what I, I really believe. And, you know, when I was doing my research, I mean, NYPD lost. Uh, 23 people out of about 36,000. Port Authority lost 37 out of 2,300. So there's nobody in the Port Authority who doesn't know somebody who died that day, you know? And yeah. I always go along. We had a, one or two guys from the Port Authority police in the, in the terrorist task force. We did a lot of cases with Major Case and some of my other squads out in JFK. And we always got treated like gold. There was a lieutenant out there, uh, Bobby Curran, who always made you feel at home. And I, I, I do think that they sometimes get left out. But do you have the ones with, with the pictures that I can, uh, the individual pictures? Okay. <laughs> it's, uh, Alphonse Niedermeyer, St. Francis Prep man also, uh, Port Authority. Um, I read about him. His wife said on one of their first dates, they were driving through Brooklyn. 
Alphonse was 6'4", weighed over 200 pounds. I think he played football for the prep. I tried to find out, and it would be also nice because then he would have joined Mike O'Keefe, myself, and uh, Timothy Stackpole, all guys who went to the prep and played for Vince O'Connor, who coached there for 62 years. Wow. But his wife says on one of their first dates, they're driving through Brooklyn, and there's a disheveled, maybe homeless guy kind of looking disoriented, standing in the middle of the intersection, and they drive by, and Alphonse says, I got to go back, and he pulls to the curb, and he gets out, and he walks this guy up you know, to, to a safe spot uh, off the street, and his wife said, I knew then that he was the guy. So I'm glad we can mention him. What else you got? I got to Kenneth, Kenneth Teejan. All right. Kenneth Teejan. Yeah. This is another ironic. I keep, I'm, I'm going to say ironic 500 times. My sister in law is, and all of my sister in laws and all of my family, very big backers of my writing career. This, this sister in law in particular, uh, anything I write, if I get a story in the post or the news or whatever, she, she's always calling me up. Uh, her name is Maria Lecomte. And they lived in Jersey, her and her husband, John. And they came and stayed with us for a couple of days because they were leaving Jersey and they had to get out of the house. They were moving to Texas. So I was telling her about the book. The book hadn't come out yet. <clears throat> and she's told me, she said, oh, my God, I'm getting goose pimples hearing these stories about Terry Tobin and about Pete Moog and about Mike Curtin. So when the book came out, I emailed her and said, I want to send you a copy, but I don't have your address in Texas. You know, give it to me. So she emails me back and says, you know, here's the address, and I hope it's not asking too much, but I'm she was a very religious lady, uh, and she was in a Catholic church in Jersey, and she was in a prayer group, and she said, two of the people, a couple in my prayer group, lost their son on 9-11, and he was a Port Authority cop, Kenneth Teacher, and I looked him up, and then I sent a book to his mom and dad, and I got this beautiful note from the mother, handwritten about you know how good it felt for her to see that you know someone was remembering her son so i'm i'm glad we could bring that up but he's another port authority guy again 37 out of 2300 wow that's unbelievable uh we're just going to go bob to a quick uh commercial we only have i think two we're losing sponsors left and right so i just really <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wanted to do this one on joe murray cuz everyone's asking how is joe murray's health joe murray just got out of us, uh, St. Francis Hospital in Roslyn yesterday. He was there for about four days. As you all know, he has COVID, and it hit him extra, extra hard. Uh, he's starting to get better. Uh, they get, he's, I, think, I believe he's still on oxygen, but he's home and he's improving. But he really, as I said, he, he's, in the words of his girlfriend, he's not out of the woods yet, but he's better. They did send him home, and he got all of those um, – the, the latest treatments they give anyway. So Joe, we pray for you and we've been praying for you that you get better. And I'm, I'm, I'm giving you all these free commercials too. Joe, <laughs> Joe, Mur Joe Murray is a great attorney and he's going to go back to his law practice. Uh, his website is jmurray-law.com. His uh, phone number 646-838-1702. Website jmurray-law.com. He's a retired member of the service and a great attorney and a great guy, and he's a, a big friend of the show. And, Joe, just just know that everyone here is praying for you and uh, wishing you the best to get better from this dreaded, dreaded uh, disease, you know. This yeah, is well, another 
Yeah, we're hoping. This is the one of the um, police coffee is an officer owned business dedicated to crafting the finest coffees and blends. And they're there to provide you with the freshest coffee available. Each batch is roasted fresh by people who know what it means to stay vigilant. And our specialty coffees do not waste one drop when flavor is concerned. Our coffee is some of the best you'll find, but also helps serve an important cause, giving back to our community. 50% of our profits go towards helping family members of police officers who fell in the line of duty. To order coffee and related products from policecoffee.com, go to the website. There are over seven types of coffee to choose from. And again, 50% of the profits go to officers' families in need. For a 10% discount, use code OTC10. That's off the cuff 10. I actually ordered this coffee to put my money uh, where my mouth is. It's excellent. It was really outstanding, and I'm going to order it again. But I still haven't used all of it, but uh, I'm going to definitely order it. comes out of uh, Utah, Salt Lake City, Utah. So the rest of our sponsors have fled. For, for <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a transit term. They fled to parts unknown. Remember that term? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, the Mayans, uh, Carol Waters, they were with us for about four months. Thank you so much for the business you brought to us. And if anyone wants to advertise with Police Off the Cuff, uh, give me a call or contact me by email. Contact us on our website. Uh, we have plenty of spots open now since some folks have fled to parts unknown. And uh, please, uh, it helps us grow. It helps us keep doing this show. If I Mark, get a chance yeah. to plug you tomorrow on Sid and Bernie, I'm going to do it. I appreciate that. appreciate that. Thank that would you. be great. Thank you. And all you folks in the green, uh, in the green font, that means you're you're part of the Police Off the Cuff, uh, you're members of Police Off the Cuff YouTube members. And we so appreciate that. And it's funny, we have four levels for $2.99, which most of you guys are. That's the bucket. For $9.99, it's Polish My Rack. And for uh, $24.99, it's Dipped in Butter. But one person is paying $49.99 <laughs> for heated Dipped in Butter. And I was so thrilled that someone bought the heated Dipped in Butter sponsorship. And being members of Police Off the Cuff. Uh, and, you know, I want to get more heated dipped in butter members, obviously. But uh, thank you so much, John R. Bear. Uh, he, he says, Mr. Mark, great show at Port Jefferson Theater. Uh, oh, wow. Thank there you. With his wife. So thank you, you so much. You guys are seeing Mark doing stand-up comedy out in the field. Uh, he's a great comic. I, I'm sort of taking a hiatus from stand-up comedy right now. I'm just too busy with the show. But one of these days I'll get back on the show on the stage. I'm not in Mark's league, but uh, I'm still learning. I, I come up with a good joke every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's let's go back to the show, and I think it's important. And I think there were some more folks that that we didn't spend a lot of time. I know you mentioned this gentleman the last time. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm you wanted. To I'm glad you brought him up again, Bill. Uh, Leroy Dixon. Uh, I worked with in TPF. Leroy was another 6'4", 230, 240. And uh, again, when I met Michael Keith years ago, when I was plugging my first book, Bronx Justice, I said to him, I have a character in Bronx Justice, Leroy Dixon, who was working, you know, I have him working in the 4-2 uh, precinct. And I said, how do I get a hold of Leroy? And he said, Leroy died. And I was like, oh my God, what? And he says, post 9-11. So I said, you know what? Can you get a hold of his wife or get me her, her contact information? I'd love to send her a book and just you know let her see that I was thinking about Leroy. So uh, they did, I did, and then I heard from a Rosa Dixon. She's living in Queens, and um, I said, 
you know, stand by because I have a new book coming out very soon, 9-11, uh, Remember 20 Years Later, and Leroy will be included in that too. So uh, when the book came out, I sent her a signed copy, you know, it said Leroy won't be forgotten by me and most of the guys in TPF. And uh, again, another person who wrote me this letter that just, you know, said, thank you so much. It brought a smile to my lips. Uh, Leroy is just as you describe him. He was always my knight in shining armor. Uh, and he was one of the ones which we discussed that, you know, I said, I guess he was working at the pile. And she said, no. I said, oh, then Staten Island. She said, no, he was working at the morgue. So, and Mark had said he was working down there, but I didn't realize that, you know, it was spread to all three spots and even people in Shanksville where there was no building collapse, just the jet fuel, I think. A lot of um, FBI agents from uh, uh, the Pentagon and Shanksville, and the way it looked to me too, a lot of female FBI agents uh, coming down with cancer. So, you know, we're over 3,000 now, uh, 3,000 died on 9-11 and now over 3,000, 300 and... I'm going to guess about 20 NYPD now have died uh, post 9/11. So you know it's the the gift that keeps on giving. It's 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 horrendous. I'm just gonna I'm gonna share a quick. Uh, I think this is important to watch. I'm gonna share the screen for a second with um, what it, you know what it looked like that day, and I think it's important for people to to, to remember this. And uh, we'll just take a quick look at it. I hope I live. It's coming down on me. Here it comes. I'm getting behind the car. It's incredible. Okay, I'm going to go find people who need help. I don't think I'm one of them. You okay, sir? Okay. Can I just get a toot off your respirator? Can I get a toot? I'm seeing a couple of clean breaths. This is the car I hid behind. It saved my life. Oh, wait, maybe it was this one. There's all these noises. I think it, I don't know what it is. They say someone needs help. Yeah, Mike. Mike. Mike, over here. Yeah. Anybody need a doctor? Don't have oxygen. Hello, Doc. Hey, that guy needs some oxygen. If someone can share it with him. 10-4. Thanks. Oh, 
they told me just to wait here. At this semi-staking area. See if I can help. That's what I'm doing. They won't let me go any closer. No one can go in to get the people out. There's small explosions still going on. So far, it just seems that people who needed oxygen from the dust. No point trauma. Gonna go wash my eyes out. Yeah, that almost made it work. Looking north on the West Side Highway. You guys going in? Yeah. Come with you. You know, but I don't want to get too much closer because the more buildings that come down, then we're not going to help anybody. All right. I think we should. Yeah. Let's just wait right here. Let's just wait right here. Let's just station up right here, okay? All right, Why don't we set up? Can you hang on these from this pole here? Okay. Okay. Yeah. We just heard another explosion. They're handing out gloves and masks. The consensus is it's too unsafe to go in there. Unbelievable, right? right? Wow. When that cloud comes down and you, you, people are breathing that, I mean, and, and you understand why so many people are coming down with these upper respiratory diseases and that. Uh, unbelievable. Well, you know, it was it was like also granulated concrete, you know, mm -hmm. that was just became became like a mist. And that's what you were breathing into your lungs. And I mean, just think of when that gets into your lungs, the damage it can do is, is just unbelievable, you know. I know I have problems every change of season just with allergies when you're breathing in the, uh, you know, the uh, ragweed or whatever, you know, and that's yeah. minuscule. Think of, think of that, you know, uh, Harvard. The other, my brother was a retired first grade detective, my brother Dennis, and he worked at the, the landfill. You know, he had been retired, but he volunteered there. And he said, you could be there all day and not see anything come off those trucks or the barges that looks like, office equipment you don't see a chair you know everything was basically pulverized you know and that right. i guess is why a lot of the people there too came down with stuff you know shaking things out and mark like you were saying people clothes in in the uh in the morgue you're shaking them out you know and yeah it, just uh you know it, it was like it's like a, a a time bomb that was set on 9 uh 01 and it's, it'll be going off. The other thing I found doing my research is the average age of the first responders on 9-11, the average age was 38. So now they're all pushing, if the average age is 38, 20 years later, they're pushing 60. And it's prime time for those diseases. Mm. So, you yeah, know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's going to get well, a lot. I just, I just went to my uh, World Trade Center Physical Tuesday. I go uh, at least twice a year. To the Mount Sinai thing, and you know, I try to stay on top of it because worst you can do is not, and all of a sudden, you know, you're a year into cancer or something, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm due. I'm, I'm mine's coming up. <laughs> you know, you don't even want to talk about you know, like your tiny little ailments, 
<laughs> after you know right now like but mm-hmm. my bad but my bad stomach nobody cares about that i mean you know yeah. you had people they're dead already they they suffered already mm-hmm. you know um we talked about luis alvarez last time you know um he's a guy i grew up with you know from my neighborhood so uh so there's no need to mention little things but people people like uh like you're uh, was it Leroy that you mentioned? Um, yeah, Leroy Dixon. Working in the um, in the morgue. When you open up those, uh, whatever you were doing, if it was uh, opening up a body bag, everything that was in there, you pulled it out, there's dust flying everywhere. You know, some of the stuff was just, you know, whatever you found, you put it in there. And that, all that stuff is the same exact stuff that, you know, people were breathing in down there, but constantly just constantly there was no other air to breathe yeah you know bob i worked at the morgue a bunch of times i mean maybe over the course of the 9-11 thing maybe i don't know eight to ten times and I, you know i had i had been uh on the job at that point for 17 years and i never saw bodies in the condition that i saw at the morgue you know and just watching what they brought in and just maybe even out of a body bag take a foot a foot inside a sneaker, and that's all that was recovered. I saw a piece <laughs> of skin this long. Yeah, and to see I, what that that you know, they would just they would photograph it, they would X-ray it, and then they would take DNA. That was what they did for every yeah. single body part, and, and figure out whether it was a human or not. That was well, that first. that that too. But I, the, you know, the thing was that they they still have thousands of pieces of human body parts that haven't been identified. Yeah. They just had on the news yesterday, Bill and Mark, that they identified uh, a body from from new, improved forensic DNA in that. And I think they said 40% of the people who died there still haven't been identified. So, I mean, 40% is over 3,000 or almost 3,000 because 3,000 was all, all the places. But that's a lot. God, you know. But yeah, I mean, it was so it was so heartbreaking also to see uh, all over the city these little posters. Look for my dad. Oh know? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And people pick the best pictures of their loved one. So when you walked by, and you saw these, um, like for example, the family center, which was at the armory originally. Um, when you walked by the front of it. It was everybody who was missing, and they would put these pictures, and it was always the picture of the person. The best picture they ever took. Smiling. And, um, you know, just smiling and so happy. And it's like um, just all these smiley faces on the, on, on this giant, like, you know, wall. It's just, style, you know, pictures, pictures, pictures. Everybody looking their best. And it really broke your heart, man. Yep, certainly did. So, uh... now, Bob, didn't you have? Um, and I don't want to rush it at all, but but uh, you had didn't you have a couple of poems you wanted to read? Or uh, well, something... I read I read the poem uh, last time about uh, Moira Smith's daughter getting the Medal of Honor when she was the two year old baby. Uh, I mean, I do we have that photo? If you want to put it up, I, I it, think it, I do. I. Yeah, I do have it. There we go. Yeah, I got a great response. Uh, Ashley, our, our mutual friend, uh, former chief of department, Louis Animo, uh, 
sent me an email. He said, I had goosebumps when you were reading that. And, uh, and a couple of other people said, wow, that was something. So once again, this was another strange thing. <laughs> this is not in the book because we went out with this couple that we're friendly with, uh, Jim, Jim and Peggy Harrington, I don't know, two, three weeks ago. And she knows that I write. And she says, did you write Have you written anything new? And I said, I have a new book out. I start to tell her about it. And I start to name some of the people in it. And uh, when I say Moira Smith, she goes like, the girl in the little red, the little girl in the red velvet dress. And she goes, you know, it it moved me so much. And Peggy's an artist. She's a photographer, a very uh, excellent photographer. And she writes. So she tells me. I wrote a poem about the girl in the red velvet dress. I said, I'd love to see it. And she emails it to me and it just knocks my socks out. I said, I wish I had known two months ago, it would have been in the book, uh, but I will read it. So it's called Gold Star. In December of 2001, the Medal of Honor was awarded posthumously to Moira Smith of the New York Police Department. Smith died rescuing people at the World Trade Center on September 11th. The medal was presented to her husband, Jim, also with the NYPD, and Patricia, their two-year-old daughter at Carnegie Hall. And here's the poem. Your father holds your hand as you stride across the stage in the glare of footlights, a little finger in your mouth, your head down, eyes looking away. One shiny black shoe is frozen midair near the hem of your skirt. A wide green ribbon with a gold star, too big for you, hangs almost to the hem of your red satin dress. The brim of your father's hat hides his face as he looks down at you. He worries that you're going to cry, frightened by the sound of applause. You feel the tightening of the grip of his white-gloved hand. Your father looks strong in his uniform, just as your mother did. You can't find her, no matter where you look. You sobbed as your father arranged your hair this morning, fixing in place the barrette that now gleams in the photographer's flash in Peggy Harrington. Wow, yeah, pretty, that's pretty damn powerful, isn't it? Uh, oh my God, I got through know, it this time though. Last time I, I I got caught up on you're looking for your mom and you can't see her. Um, yeah. But one of the things that I mentioned last time, and and now I have a little more ammo. So we know about Moira, and we know of her daughter, and Moira is one of three thousand people who died that day. So I started to think, I actually tried to look it up. I figure I got to talk to somebody who's a sociology major. How, what is the average, the average person, what is their circle of family, extended family and friends? hundred people. So I, I couldn't get an answer. So I'm saying a hundred people. So times that by 3000 and that's 300,000 people who were affected who lost a mom, a dad, uh, a child, a brother, a sister, um, you know, so it's, it just, it, it's like a nuclear bomb that just spreads. It's not just the immediate family. It's all of the people, you know, if you go on Moira's site, uh, she grew up in Bay Ridge and her friends who grew up with her absolutely adored her. And it's, you know, a, a big chunk of their life is missing. And of course the daughter, who, as I said, you know, nice part of the story. She's 22 now. She's in the University of Alabama studying to be an athletic trainer. Um, you know, but it's, 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 it's not, you know, it's the ones we know about and you think about, but there's thousands of the stories that you never heard, but they were all somebody's mother, father, sister, brother. 
you know, so that that's the shame of it all. No, hundred percent. Doctor Stephen Washkel, uh, he's a friend of the show. Uh, walking the gauntlet of family members on the way to the pile was the most difficult. Yeah, Doc, but uh, you help a lot of people. It's um, it's a tough thing. You know, this is actually our, our I think our fourth show we did on nine eleven. Um, we did the first show with you, and then I did a show with the three guys that I went down on that, that day with. And then we just did a show with um, uh, the other day with um, the fireman. fireman. Well, I can't think of his name right now. I, I apologize. And then this is the fourth one with you. And I think that's um, we did uh, a good job, and in, in, uh, I think, in memorializing it and letting people forget about it and just give people these little stories that help this to keep it alive. This 20th anniversary is grabbing me you know, more than the 10th, more than the first, you know, I, right. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's like generations are moving on now and, and we want to leave, you know, the, the legacy of these people behind. Well, real quick too, you mentioned the doctor, um, Dr. Greg Freed, who was the police department surgeon. He was down there. He was almost killed. He got, he was holding somebody's carotid artery together when the building came down on top of him. He broke his back. He was in bad shape and he was always, Always there. If a cop got hurt, no matter what time, day or night, Freed would be at the hospital. So I'm hoping he's doing well. The Actually, the fireman uh, that I was referring to, uh, Joe Reek, uh, retired inspector Joe Reek, reminds me, Joe, I'm getting old and senior. I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting short-term memory is gone, you know. John Sorrentino, and John Sorrentino is a great guy, and he's a huge supporter for the fire department and uh, – has taken on the role of, um, you know, being, being a real supporter, even though he's retired. And uh, he, we always have to remember guys like him too that uh, give so much back. It, it's unbelievable. You know, mm -hmm. they had a thing on the news yesterday, Bill and Mark. A, a guy out on Long Island in Farmingdale, I believe, he's an ex-fireman, and he's putting together. He was disappointed that the NYPD doesn't really have a ceremonial hearse like the fire department has the truck that they put the casket on. So he, with his own money, his own time, got this truck and he put a lift in the back and it looks beautiful. And I think it's supposed to be unveiled uh, either tomorrow or Saturday. But there's a guy who just said, I thought NYPD guys, they might not be the highest paid, but they should be the highest respected. So God bless him. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's amazing. And you know, I, I wanted to read the first thing on the front of your book. Uh, this is a quote by uh, Bill Bratton. There are no great men, only ordinary men, who in response to extraordinary challenges do great things. On 9-11 and the days that followed, thousands of men and women, heroes all, did great things. Yeah. Bill Bratton. Bill Bratton. He's my man. I told you that on the last show. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I haven't read. But... I think he really turned that department around. I always tell people, like, you know, because I was in the department when he came in, obviously. I was in yeah. my 20-some-odd year. But I said, we were like a, a big old eight-cylinder Cadillac that was clunking around on four and thinking we were doing okay, you know? And then he came in and, uh, you know, Comstat. And I, I, I tell people, I had the sixth precinct when I first made captain. And uh, I was temporarily in command. I don't think they ever made me the commanding officer, but I was the only, I was the highest ranking guy there for the summer of 89. 
And if you had walked up to me at any time and said, hey, Bob, how many robberies did you have in the sixth precinct last week? I would have went, I don't know. What, how, how was <laughs> <laughs> yeah. go, go and then I, go ask my crime analysis guy, you know? It was yeah. not on anybody's agenda then. You know, <laughs> you know what? You know. Get, get to Washington Square Park. Get to uh, Tompkins Square Park. So, you know, when I saw when, when Comstack came in, and I know uh, one one of the things I love that I met you guys too is I'm watching some of the old shows and I saw the one you did with Louis Anamone and he was talking about Comstat and it really was different. And I mean, and it wasn't like I was a jerk or I was slow, but that wasn't, you weren't be, your feet weren't being held to the fire on that. You know, you were- That's for sure. You know what? I'm just, I, I saw Bill Bratton at a bagel shop and uh, first I was like debating whether I should say hello to him or not. So I left and then I came back and I said, listen, I'm retired from the job. I just got to tell you, I, th I think you were the best PC we ever had. And I shook his hand and then I ran out. And then on the way out, I'm like, fuck, I should have mentioned the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was I like, I can't go back in there again and bother him. I don't want to bother him anymore. So I just let it be. I was just, that's I would one bet regret. he could do it. And, you know, I could ask, which I told you last time, uh, Bill and Mark, Greg Longworth was the one who first set up because uh, 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 Bill Bratton gave me a nice blurb. And if you go on his uh, uh, social media platforms now, he has a thing about, about the book. I would think he would do it. He also has his own. Well, this was out. this was when me and Bill were still doing this in his house. Like this was in the very very yeah, beginning the very of beginning. us doing the podcast. So we didn't really yeah. have that many followers. Yeah. It didn't yeah. go on me, but I should have. Uh, I remember being outside. I'm like, oh, I should have mentioned the podcast. I didn't have a card. We didn't have cards yet. You know. <laughs> Hey, Patricia, you want show? we're doing it in my basement, Commissioner. <laughs> uh, Patricia Leggy, thank you so much for the five-pound super chat. You have had all had to live with this terror for twenty years. Maybe the American government should honor all of our first responders. Tricia from Scotland. Wow, from Scotland. Yeah, you know we we got uh, we got fans from all over the damn world. It's it's amazing. Um, oh, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, though, because, you know, we're talking about the Port Authority police. And I, I think it, it's worth a couple of seconds just to explain for people who don't know. The Port of Port Authority is the Port Authority in New York and New Jersey, and they are responsible for all the shipping that comes into New York or New Jersey. Newark, uh, Port Newark now, I believe, is the biggest uh, port that we have as far as uh, cargo coming in. They are also responsible for the uh, three major airports, JFK, LaGuardia, and Newark. They also have Stewart Airport uh, upstate and uh, Teterboro Airport. Uh, but the World Trade Center was a Port Authority building. So they were in there, and that's why so many of them got killed. But also, like this uh, fellow you mentioned, this police officer, Kenneth Tijan, um, he was down at their location at the path tubes at 33rd street and he heard about the plane crashing nobody had to tell him to come down he actually he commandeered a cab and the cab driver stopped at a certain place and said i don't want to go any further and he said get in the back i'll drive and he drove <laughs> the and then there's also a story when he gets down there and i believe they were working in the north tower and it starts really smoking up and their boss says go outside and grab respirators don't come back in without them and him and the guy he was working with go out to the truck, uh, the, the Port Authority Emergency Service truck, and there's only one respirator left. And Kenneth says, I'm the senior man. It's mine. 
and he goes back in and dies. So, oh god! Uh, as I said, they're a great bunch. I always got along. Uh, you know, MC's uh, audio asked uh, Bob Inspector Martin, "Did you work with Jimmy Leahy and Dan Richards when you had the six? They worked there." Jimmy Lake. No, here's another. I don't want to say funny story. I tried to do a book because I heard it. You're talking about it on, on one of the other podcasts. The two auxiliary officers who was slain. Yeah. Who were um give me a second now nick pecchiero and eugene uh Marshalik. and like i said to you the the uh john perry death on 9 11 grabbed me more than anybody else's because he was at one pp retiring and he ran over there now i worked with a lot we had a lot of guys killed in street crime when i was with this john perry yeah uh, god bless him uh but in street crime we had abe walton killed bobby billadu killed Lee Ford killed. Uh, we had a guy who was very good friends of mine, Frankie Sledge, uh, worked in street crime for a short time, but he hang out. He hung out in Big John's Naughty Pine and Flatbush, where I hung out. We got very friendly, so I was not unaccustomed to having people I know getting killed in the line of duty. I mean, it was like three in street crime in one year. But uh, when and I, as I said, I had the sixth precinct for a short time in the summer of '89. And when I read about those two young men, uh, Eugene Marshalik was only 19. His family had come over from Russia to escape the violence over there. His father was a doctor. He graduated from Stuyvesant High School, and he was at Stuyvesant on 9-11. And Stuyvesant is right there on Chambers Street. And he wanted to give back to the community. So he volunteered to be an auxiliary police officer in the 6th. And there's a wonderful woman, Nellie Flores, ran the auxiliaries in the 6th Precinct. So I said, I did, a, I did an article about them, uh, uh, an op-ed in the Post, right before the, I guess it was the 10th anniversary, because they got killed in 2007, March 14th of 2007. Uh, and basically, it was this maniac goes into a pizzeria, for some reason, he has a beef with a Mexican guy who works behind the counter, but nothing has ever happened. It's all in this guy's head. He's got a disguise on. He asks the guy for a menu, and when the Mexican guy turns around, he puts 15 into his back from his 9 oh millimeter. Then he starts running down the street, and somebody follows him. And he actually has a fake beard that he takes off. He has a Yankee hat he takes off. And these two auxiliaries are standing on the corner, and the witness says, that's the guy who shot some people. So they start following him, and they're on. first they go to stop him, and he has a bag in his hand. And they go, hold it. What's in the bag? And he punches one of the kids in the face. Then he takes off. And this film of it, there was security cameras. He's running down Sullivan Street, going towards Washington Square Park, and they're on the other side. A radio car comes around the corner with Artie Leahy, who is James Leahy's brother, who is now in the sixth in 2007. They're coming the wrong way down Sullivan Street, and the killer sees them, turns, and sees our two auxiliaries following him, and he basically chases them down and, and assassinates them, right? Artie Leahy and his partner get out, exchange shots, and he was working with a girl whose name I can't remember now, uh, a real nice young lady who helped me out when I went to the sixth to uh, get some information. They chase him. He goes into a store on Bleecker Street, and he comes out with guns blazing, and there's like five cops outside, and they, they put him down. So I wanted to do a book about it. I actually, we did a, uh, a proposal with a guy named Tom Clavin, who's a real well-known author. He writes two books a year. He's a friend of mine. He basically was a mentor in my writing career. 
and he has an agent and all that. And we got no traction. Nobody wanted to do it. But I had gone and done interviews. So I interviewed Artie Leahy. And I, I heard you mention uh, the fact that he had joined the NYPD uh, because his brother was killed at 9-11. But when I talked to him, he said, actually, I said, James Leahy from the 6th, he responded down and he got killed. And uh, I said, so is that what made you come on the job? And Artie said, no, actually, James and I both wanted to become cops since 1975. And I said, what was that? He says, my father worked in a golf course in Staten Island that was held up by some wise guys and they killed him. So I was like, oh, my God. And then to continue this ironic story, on my first visit to the 9-11 Memorial, the museum wasn't open yet. This was about 2012. I get in and it's very crowded and eventually a path clears and I can go up to the wall and I look down and it's police officer James Leahy. I'm standing right in front of his name. And I went, wow. this, this is strange. But those, those, crazy. those two auxiliary kids, they, there's no doubt, this guy had over 100 rounds of ammunition. He had another gun. He had another Glock in his bag, and he was heading to Washington Square Park. And I said it was March 14th. It was unseasonably warm. Hundreds of people in the park. And nobody knows for sure, but Ray Kelly and uh, Mayor Bloomberg at their funeral said, without a doubt, they saved lives that night. And I just thought, here's two kids. They're not getting paid. And I spoke to... Uh, Teresa Shortell, who's a chief now, I think she's still on the job. Uh, she was their commanding. I, I think she. I think she retired. Did she? Uh, she was a. She was a great female boss too, female cop. And she's actually. I only found out later. Uh, she's from my neighborhood in Brooklyn, from Flatbush. And her brother, I believe, also was a, a chief on the job. Yeah. But I said to her, "What? What about these two kids?" She said, "I wish every cop in the sixth was as good as them." She said, "Uniforms impeccable. Uh, drive up." standing at attention, give you a salute. And Nellie Flores, who ran the auxiliaries, and I, I can't believe we couldn't sell this book. She was at the range that day. And these two guys came in to do, I think they used to do a six to 10. And they had put a new lock on the radio locker. So they couldn't open the radio locker. So it was getting close to, well, if we can't get a radio, we can't go out. We'll have to do clerical work. And they called Nellie and she says, I wish I never answered the phone, but she gives them the new combination and they go out. Uh -huh. And Nellie comes in when she gets the call and she makes an entry in their log that uh, police uh, auxiliary police officer Nick Pecchiero and auxiliary police officer Eugene Marshalik were assassinated by this blank, blank, blank. Uh, I forget the guy's name, David something. Um, but yeah, tried to do the book. But yeah, so. Audie Leahy, who was one of the people who was there that night, James Leahy was his brother, and I end up in front of James Leahy's name on the wall. That's crazy. Mark, <laughs> uh, last, last words. The book is 9-11 Remembered 20 Years Later by retired NYPD Inspector Bob Martin. This has actually been our fourth show commemorating, not commemorating, memorializing the 20-year anniversary of 9-11. And I think uh, it's been pretty damn emotional and i'll tell you the truth i'm glad this is the last one we're doing because it's uh it's tough to do it mark last words thanks for coming on bob uh, no. all, if you're a new yorker and you've been here for you know for 20 years you were affected by it uh with extended family as well it, it's affected all of us as a country
Let's not forget. Don't forget. 100%. No matter how much they try to make us forget, let's not forget. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Life is short. She wrote, thank you for your service. Thank you so much for all you folks that are um, supporting police off the cuff and uh, supporting, you know, the, the memories of uh, the 20-year anniversary of 9-11. Of thank you so much. Bob, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, not once, but twice. Bill, and, could, uh, I close, could I close by reading my dedication on the book? Sure, absolutely. All right, so it's dedicated to the World Trade Center responders. This book could only be dedicated to those who served, who ran into those burning towers knowing the danger, but were determined to help others to do their jobs, who were there that day and the hundreds of days that followed. To those who lived, those who died, their families and friends. And then I have a biblical quote. This is from the Bible, John 15, 12 to 14, King James Version. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love have no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. And I said, with apologies to King James and John, I would update verse, verse 13 to read, Greater love hath no man or woman than this, that they lay down their lives for their friends. We can't say anything else after that, Bob. Thank you so much. All you folks that were listening tonight, thank you so much for being in the audience. And uh, Mark, on behalf of Mark DeMeo, Bill Cannon, Bob Martin, folks, good night, and thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Bob.